One moment. I do love this part. Hold on. I don't want no trouble. We're not here to bring any. Are you ready? Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Rebel Moon. If you're listening to this, you know Stephen and I from our podcasts on Zack Snyder's other films, the ones that have come out already. In the case of Rebel Moon, I don't know if you know this, Stephen, it was 10 years ago news broke of Zack Snyder having pitched a seven samurai Jedi Star Wars movie. I believe it was nine years after that time. We recorded a podcast saying Rebel Moon exists. It is being made with Netflix. It is going to come out. And now, 18 months later, wink, we have our first, I, I was going to say full length trailer of the movie, but what, what do you call it when it's over three and a half minutes long? Yeah, it's wild. Well, they're calling it a teaser, but it's, it's, a, right. it's a teaser for two movies. So it's like, I don't, it's a double teaser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This also comes parallel to the set visit embargo for Rebel Moon finally ending, a set visit that you took part in. Yeah, in October 2022, I went to visit the set of Rebel Moon for a day and got to see some awesome stuff. And there's been a bunch of stuff that's happened, and we haven't recorded a podcast on every single piece of it because there's so many things that I've like embargoed on. I'm like, I, just, I can't. It's like very exciting to have this stuff that I've been sitting on for like literally almost a year, you know, 10 months, nine months that uh, I can finally talk about now. So, and I think it, it, it's the trailer is a great time to do that because um, since it shows so much, it's a really good opportunity to just kind of follow along scene by scene in that and kind of extrapolate on what I learned about that, those characters, those moments, what it means and kind of get to, to some, some good Zack Snyder ish. Yes. Yeah. Rather than talking about sort of what would we say? Like we could talk about our conversation about led clipping and, and uh, and camera lenses right. yep. and and I'd love to go into all that, but yeah, Ra- probably <laughs> there there will be a said visit report to read and and people will have them. But we figured the best use of that knowledge you have is now that people have three and a half minutes of this movie to look at. We can go through frame by frame, shot by shot, and tell people exactly what they are looking at. Not in the interest of spoiling, but in the interest of if you see this trailer, you're going to want to know more. So we are going to tell all that. The filmmakers themselves felt comfortable setting up for the for the scope of like not only these two movies but this entire new fictional universe. Exactly, and I think for for context, the way that we're going to go go through this the, this trailer is is kind of fascinating because this universe is even this trailer shockingly doesn't quite show how huge this is. But what's going on in this trailer is you have basically three, if not four things going on here. The first two are obvious that it's it's split between things that happen both in Rebel Moon Part 1, uh, A Child of Fire, which comes out December 22nd, 2023, and Part 2, The Scar Giver, which comes out April 19th, 2024. I think it's five months later. So so you've already got some stuff that I know about from the set visit because they shot back-to-back that happens in Part 2. We will reference that lightly, but for the sake of spoilers... Um, we won't go super deep into that. Uh, but the other interesting thing is that there's there's kind of some intense flashbacks going on. And while we didn't get every single detail on the flashbacks in in the set visit, what I've kind of gleaned is that there's a couple different time periods we're flashing back to. And so 
with what's going on in the trailer, it's not exactly the chrono- the chronology is all over the place. But with what I've what I'll be able to provide from the set visit info, I think it'll help kind of contextualize what happened prior to these movies. Um, in the hundred years prior, the thousand years prior, in like the five years prior, and then where things are when the first movie picks up. You know, a general idea of you know it's it's seven samurai, so it's not like we're gonna spoil you know like shocker they they team up with a bunch of farmers and fight the soldiers <laughs> like but so but you know for the sake of leaving some twists and turns in there we're not going to s- speculate too much from the behind the scenes info yeah and i think to to reiterate while this is a great big universe and that sounds super complicated what you just said it is a tight story of specific characters there's just a massive amount of world building that it takes place in what better way of breaking all of that down and geeking out over it than going literally bit by bit and having you explain what you know about the things that we are seeing while i just geek out about how you know ridiculous it is that like Zack snyder finally get to make a heavy metal movie right (laughs) just a insane space fantasy that is i think it will go unspoken to the to the degree that it should be the heavy metal frank frazetta richard corbin mobius legacy of this like operatic space fantasy is like alive and well in this as much as it is for um you know it's it's like an american yeah. take on that you know that european aesthetic yeah i think that for anyone like real quick before we get into the trailer for anyone who doesn't know <laughs> frazetta or heavy metal or what he's talking about figure that out <laughs> before you see this because the amount of um the the heavy metal not just the 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 animated movie but also the 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 magazine and the comic is very very prominent in here but i mean there's also make sure you're 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 familiar with excalibur dune conan the barbarian battlestar galactica warhammer uh, gundam yep, yep. <laughs> People talk about this as Zack Snyder's Star Wars. No. It's going to be my mission to make people stop saying that. This was in development for decades before it was ever a Star Wars pitch. When he pitched it to Lucasfilm, which was a very brief moment in time, it was being reverse engineered from an original universe into Star Wars. It became clear that was going to be too constraining. I mean, they were going to, you know, they were talking about inserting cameos and stuff. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. And also he wanted an R and all that. So then it reverted away from Star Wars again. While it, it bears some resemblance to Star Wars in the fact that you know it was something that they briefly discussed it really goes back to like the origins of star wars itself in the same way that lucas wasn't making star wars he wanted to make flash gordon and all of this other stuff and he couldn't get the rights to that so star wars is a mixtape of george lucas's inspirations in the exact same way that this is a mixtape of of all of Zack Snyder's inspirations. And while there's some similarities, you know, you've got the Kurosawa and you've got the the, the Frank Herbert, uh, Zack was a little more heavy metal than George Lucas and <laughs> in that uh, uh, literally and the, the, the property. Well, yeah, and it would be very, um, <laughs> it would be very foolish to say, uh, well, now that he's got 300 and Sucker Punch and Gahool and Batman v Superman and Man of Steel out of the way, he can finally get heavy metal. Yeah. No, this has been informing his style the entire way. Yeah, and to continue the preamble before we get into that, uh, Heavy Metal was going to be adapted by James Cameron, and there was going to have a bunch of guest directors uh, in the same way they did like the Heavy Metal movie, had all these different styles. Yeah. And they were going to have, uh, I think, Guillermo del Toro, Zack Snyder, and uh, Fincher was going to do some Tim of Miller. it. And so that project ended up evolving into uh, Love, Death, and Robots. A, a project which uh, fans will 
feel like the same itch very much being scratched by this trailer. Yeah, exactly. So so once again, as I'm throwing out all of these inspirations, heavy metal and all that, if you're not familiar with Love, Death and Robots, that's another very much in this vibe. It would not hurt to be familiar with a lot of this kind of style of just heavy metal um, sci-fi storytelling before getting into this. But anyway, this is like my brain unpacking the art room that we got to see on the set visit that was just full of this, this concept art where I was like, I don't know how this is going to look. I'm used to like from Marvel movies and a lot of DC movies and stuff kind of scaling everything back by like 10 to 20%. I was like, okay, that's the concept art. So the movie is going to be you know, just kind of a much more like normal Sand version of that. Edges. Yeah. And every time you see Zack Snyder concept art, my brain does the same thing. And then like the movie arrives, it's like, oh, wow, no, that's the same thing, if not crazier on screen than what the art said. So, um, and he was, all the concept art came from him on this also. He, w- he was drawing sketches of stuff and then the concept artists were basing their concept art off of his sketches. So very, very, and he drew like thousands of, Im- not just storyboards, but thousands of images used for concept art. So this is is his DNA like ground up not just something that other people were you know they were contributing to it but very much this is the most Zack Snyder Zack Snyder has ever Zack Snydered I I really can't underscore how high my excitement has become seeing in the same trailer grand bulbous spaceships surrounding an interstellar civilization and massive city planet cut to a man stripped to the waist leaping through the air to land on a flying <laughs> Giant bird cut to a many-armed minotaur in a gladiator arena. Right. And this is the same movie. I I can't even... Cut to laser swords. (laughs) A giant spider. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, let's let's, uh, get into it. Let's get into it. We are introduced to the narration by Anthony Hopkins, the the robotic character Jimmy. And I feel like 60% of the backstory with the Imperium and that just the scale of time that we're talking about here is encapsulated in what you learned about that character. And I think if people knew that before listening to his narration, then that will actually help explain and ground and center a lot of what he sort of lays out as what sounds like it could be one person's weird narration is kind of setting the stage for the entire story. The Jimmys are, there's more than one Jimmy. They are, it is a whole, they are, they are the like robotic Knights Templar, basically. You see in his narration throughout this, he's talking about, I was programmed to serve a king who's not alive, or to protect a girl who doesn't exist, to, to serve a kingdom. So what's he talking about, Stephen? So he is one of this this sacred order of, of robots with these, this kind of higher order. And so while this particular Jimmy is talking in a very inter- interpersonal way, that is not necessarily the way they they all are. They are they are robots. How old is he? The the Jimmies have been in service of the Imperium for hundreds of years. It's it's a really interesting sort of twist, like the Knights of the Round Table, and you've got these. They're men, but they 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 follow a code, right? And they're 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 ca- called Samurai to a sorts. yeah exactly. They're called to a higher a higher purpose. And so it's really interesting to kind of replace that role with a robot because how how different is it to be like a robot following a code than a than a man following a, a code or a religious sort of fervor dedication to a, a, a government or a kingdom or an empire that Robushido. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, so they've been in in service of the empire for for generations and. Uh, about five years, four or five years prior to the events of the first movie, King of the Imperium, they call him the Slain King because he got Caesar-style 
uh, knifed by his uh, closest allies. And the entire royal family, uh, so that's including the princess, were killed. There's a lot more going on around that that we weren't told all of the, the details of because I imagine there's some additional Game of Thrones details. But as Jimmy says in his story, it kind of left them without, without a purpose. And so they've got this code and this higher kind of moral order, if you can call it moral when it's ones and zeros or whatever that are telling them how to be. And so the Jimmys have kind of become purposeless within the Empire. And uh, Zach compares them to like glorified forklifts. But this particular Jimmy is starting to question that, question his nature and his, his uh, humanity, have you, his, his purpose in the world. And uh, this particular shot, there's, there's a lot of story behind what's going on here with the antlers and, and everything that he's doing here. I'm pretty confident this happens in the second movie, fairly far into it, so I don't want to dig into what everything means. I can say there's a really fascinating story behind that whole costume, but that I'll have to you know probably save for uh, after everyone's seen the end of the first movie. The way that you, you spoke right in how he, well, how Jimmy speaks, I was given memories of a world I'll never see this idea in the same way that you would have like you know one of king arthur's knights like he's he's like a i i believe jimmy was compared to like parsifal right he's the one the knight that is still loyally searching for the grail when the rest of them have kind of fallen away from their their higher purpose if we haven't talked enough about european classics aronin in this movie in like a very literal way a masterless knight you know and then you get this incredible shot of him staring into what i imagine is the sunset but you kind of touched on it too, this massive millennia-long Imperium, one that is also kind of sluggish. Well, if you think about like like prior to, you know, the past couple hundred years, you think about some older empire, you know, think about the the Roman Empire or or the Greeks or, you know, a lot of a lot of those. Um you Rome know, is probably the most yeah, yeah. There was a point where like the fact that they were an empire, the fact that they were like colonizing wasn't out of its time quite as much like there was there was no one saying like hey maybe this is wrong because yeah. the, the world existed in a place where that was just kind of the way things worked but also it wasn't necessarily as like zach says it's not like we like they're bad guys like it's not like we're saying like oh they're just misunderstood or whatever but the the slain king and his family had at least some sort of a a I don't want to say like a code of ethics because Zach was very careful to not start to like moralize or or equivocate kind of what they're doing. But the Balisarius who took took over after the, the slain king died is is way more uh, brutal and and doesn't follow a civilized code in the same way that like the the older empire did. And they had reached this this renaissance of this this height of power and culture and and civilization to the point where like. Sure, they were subjugating worlds and they were assimilating other cultures, but the but people were also participating it in a way because they were maybe they they were being homogenized, but also they were they weren't being necessarily Maybe they at least believed there was some merit in what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. And and so but that change that Balisarius then got so brutal that the people who were had been going along with it, we'll get the, I guess the general Titus more specifically later on, but someone like him who was kidnapped when he was a child, turned into a a, a soldier for the Imperium 
you know, had his own culture stripped away from him and etc uh, was still going along with it because he had title and he had he had importance and he wasn't a slave outright right he was he was acting on behalf of a of a, of a larger purpose and and was you know and had a, a title and all that but then Balisarius came along and took that same power and bent it downward cruelly upon all these other worlds and just started raising them to the ground for their resources and for their uh, just to kind of milk them dry and and was you know not as uh, civilized I guess as the as the previous empire and so then you start to get people who are like well wait this this power structure I, I can't condone anymore um, and then that leaves the Jimmys kind of afloat yeah and the Jimmys I guess when you you get Anthony Hopkins if you want to hammer home that idea of like a sophistication or nobility that has been lost yeah. um, of an older world. All wrapped up in the prophecy of Princess Issa, a um, prophesied cosmic messiah, I guess. Yeah, something. I think that's a really interesting. Um, I think there's there there is more to say about her that it might be getting too much into into spoilers, but I think it's very interesting that she had. Uh, some higher purpose that they were anticipating that she was supposed to accomplish something that um, like even the Jimmies were knew that something was supposed to come of her and the, and the loss of that wasn't just a loss of their purpose, but a loss of some supposed future that was supposed to happen. Again, like we said, that image of Jimmy with the horns, I, that it, it just to me is set in the first, you know, 20 minutes of 300. This is on the planet Velt, which is a moon of a giant red gas giant. Think about like Yavin in Star Wars. It's a farming community. This is the farming community that the, you know, the seven samurai kind of village where the, the empire comes and they fight back. Hora is standing on in the trailer or the poster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, the, uh, that field of wheat there that Jimmy is standing on, they actually grew like 10 football fields full of wheat. Uh, and uh, Debbie was at, on the set visit was making fun of Zach because he even grew some in their backyard in Pasadena because this set was in uh, Santa Clarita, California. And so back in Pasadena at their house, Zach was growing the this wheat so that he could like keep track of where it was so he would make sure it was at like the right height. They for... did that with the corn, right? And for Man of Steel, yeah. So so they yeah I think they they did that and they sold it for as like for part of the the movie's budget. So yeah, so they did that for this and then um and they built a, a, a huge set in santa clarita Mo a lot of the other stuff is on sound stages but this they actually built a proper they, they grew the corn they they built a river and a hill and and all of these these houses and and hired all of the actors that play all of the villagers are are like there's no extras they actually hired like actors for every single part even if they didn't have speaking lines because they didn't have like day players coming in and out so <laughs> So as a result, there's even a few faces that you'll be like, you might recognize some of the, the, the villagers be like, Oh, that's crazy. They got, you know, that actor for a non-speaking role, but just because they'd come in for like the, the entire summer they shot in this one spot and they have like, you know, all these little character arcs within the villagers and stuff, even if they're not, you know, major players. My favorite is Corey Stoll with a beard, which we'll get to later. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the obligatory comparison to Gladiator. Yeah, uh, but now with the robotic hand, which is just I that Snyder. Yep. Um, and for the camera geeks, Zach's got uh, he fell in love with these Leica lenses, and but they didn't have an anamorphic uh, cinema version. 
Um, anyone that watched Army of the Dead uh, can remember that he had that love that shallow depth of field canon dream lens, but that was not an an, not shot as a anamorphic where they they'll anamorphic st- stretches and then and then and then condenses it back down to widescreen, and so that's where you get this like really wide lens flare from. So like in this shot, that's an anamorphic uh, lens flare that you get there, and so he worked with a company called Zero Optic to make a custom set of lenses, a 35 millimeter, a 50 millimeter and a 90 millimeter um, just for this movie. And they're, they're gorgeous. There's some shots that'll actually be a lot softer focus, even than uh, that army of the dead was based on the, the way that these lenses are designed, but probably overall, I think people are going to complain a little bit less about the, uh, the extensive <laughs> shallow, shallow focus, which I loved, but um, a little bit more, a little more cinematic on this one. And then we get, the royal families, prophecy people, we should say potential spoilers. You don't know who and how these characters all fit together. I don't want anyone thinking that you're holding off saying something and then thinking, oh my God, I totally knew what he was going to say. There are very tangible mysteries that are being intentionally kept. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there's even some mysteries that that feel like maybe I was even being misdirected on on set too. So I'm trying, that's part of what I'm trying to avoid going too much into a lot of that. But I think like this next like this next shot here, the a lot of the flashbacks that they talk about, like the big event that kicks off kind of what happens is the assassination of the royal family like five years prior to this. But then we get like this this shot here of this girl. I think that's young Cora, Sophia Batella's character. Heading to... So Sophia said in her interview that that her character was abducted from from another planet and kind of trained as a as a soldier so there so there there are there is flashbacks and story there but that's obviously more than 5 years ago so there are there are flashbacks and 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 something significant that happens in the story even farther back Belisarius who we see being coronated later on in this um fractured effects the company that does all the the makeup and the creature effects aged up uh the actor Fra Free to like a, like in his from his mid 30s i think to his mid 50s which is which is the modern day uh, or the, or the present you know in the movies uh, a child of fire and the scar giver he's not actually in a child of fire a ton i don't think um he'll be mostly in the second movie but regardless he's actually i my understanding is aged up for that part of the role which suggests that there's fairly significant flashbacks of him as a younger as a younger version which would be more than five years, right? So that means that there's something significant happened also like 20, 25, 30 years ago around the time Korra was a child, apparently. So there, there's that's the area where we don't want to speculate too much because A, we don't know a lot, and also B, the fact that that there's some caginess there suggests that might be spoiler territory. But um, I do think that's a really interesting detail, though, that there's a lot of kind of palace intrigue going on in the lore prior to the actual events of the movie and prior to even the death of the slain king. Yeah, just what looks to be one of many ships being brought to a populated planet in front of a fiery, way too close sun. (laughs) But this is one that I pointed out as, you know, very Mobius. To what you're saying about Star Wars... It's so it's all cliched because everybody does it in response to Star Wars, which is like a grungier 
you know, anti-2001, this is empire. This is what would Rome look like if it was, uh, uh, you know, an interstellar. Right. Well, and for a little context on the on the ship designs also, uh, Stéphane Duchamp, the production designer, said that for a lot of those, they actually looked back to like 80s, uh, like Gundam and uh, Transformers. Not Obviously not giant robots, but they, they said they really loved that the, the blocky bulbous kind of rounded edges of like think about like the like the tanks and the and the way that the ships yeah. are in that they they weren't quite that angular sleek look yet at that stage they were, they were really into that like kind of chunky look uh, so you get that a lot with these and then we move into a fascinating sequence of shots here which is Jaman Hunsu on his knees in what looks to be a very burned out and like human battlefield um, World War One, you know, with what looked to be robots, like the shrapnel of robot hands and heads. I hope they're robotic hands and heads. This is General Titus you alluded to earlier. Yeah, and so my assumption, I, I talked a little bit about this backstory, but his his deal is he, after the death of the slain king, was like, I can't be down with what Balisarius is doing. This looks like exactly what that what that is. He's he is. He's subjugating a world in a way that he thinks is far more brutal and violent than than he signed up for, I guess, basically. Uh, he is witnessing what the Imperium is doing to the inhabitants. Or defeated being people. ordered to do it himself and and can't live with the, the guilt of, of what they're asking him to do. So he is one of, later on, one of the warriors that Korra goes to recruit to defend Velt, but obviously this is from I believe a flashback from kind of how he got to that to that point. So they said when they find him, he's like a, I think he's a he's a gladiator or working with gladiators, uh, which is ironic for him. And uh, and <laughs> he's a drinker. He's got a, a a giant flask, and he's just kind of not not loving life anymore. I think looking at kind of what look this appears to be some kind of a mass assassination follow, following a scorched earth battle. And uh, so it makes sense why he might be like not into it. The eye, a soon to be repeated image of the Imperium. Yeah. And I don't know if this is what exactly is going on in this shot. I don't know entirely about what, what the eye means. However, an interesting detail about kind of what happens here is we were told by uh, Brad Elliott, the prop master, showed us some of the kind of the tools of the Imperium. And one of the things they do when they land on these planets, this is, this is very Herbert-esque, I think, is they have these scribes who write in this sort of calligraphy and they've been trained like their entire life and they write really fast and they do things like they, they measure the air quality and they take note of like every single detail about a planet, uh, which reminds me of like the Mentats in Dune. Yeah, yeah. And so, but then also we've got these priests. We've They're the ones in these big red robes with these kind of scary faces and they do something else that is not entirely clear but one of the kind of wild parts about their lore is they've got these like clubs that they bash people's heads in and then like fish Jeez. around in their brains and pull out pieces oh. that they then uh. will like put into these like books that record memories or get information or something along those lines. And so I don't know if that's what's happening here, but this feels very much in that vibe of like, good lord. Um, and keep in mind, we're talking about like, oh, the slain king, things were so much better. 
these traditions have existed for longer than than Balisarius. So they may have gotten worse, but I think as Zach said, like we're not talking about like they were good and now they're bad. It's like they were all <laughs> like none of this is justifiable, but but Balisarius is just like not pretending to be noble about it anymore. So we are seeing a disillusioned General Titus in this absurd armor. Yeah. I can't and what a perfect I, I Jaimon in a Snyder movie has is far overdue and this look on his face in in this moment uh, I think sells exactly who he is in this role very well. And then we get this shot of I I assume this would be again Velt because this looks like wheat. Mm-hmm. Farmers, I want this to be I can see a massive sickle. Did you get a sense of what the characters, the farmers on Velt, what role they would be playing in the story broadly? A, a little bit. This is a lot of people. Yeah, well, so eventually they are going to be trained to to fight back against the Imperium. But initially, they are not really connected. They're not politically motivated. They're not a part of the, like, they, they're just minding their own business. They're a small farming community. And uh, they get sucked into the story because since the Imperium is no longer the way that they were before now to get resources they just go places and take them like before they might have been more sustainable in their agricultural practices for example and would have had like a farming colony that could properly support the troops but now there's this giant war machine that needs to be fed and so that means that necessitates going to new planets and subjugating them to to just take their crops and uh, you know the lack of I don't know the the structure that existed before means that they'll just go places and and as we see in you know that's the that's the Seven Samurai story or a Bug's Life if you prefer <laughs> and uh, so yeah so these are just the farmers walking across I think something that would be good to point out early is that Velt while it is a of no relevance or deeper significance that I'm aware of the entire aesthetic and uh, kind of moral compass of this whole universe. The production designer, Stéphane Duchamp, said it is a dichotomy of, it's like a yin and a yang of brutalism and harmony, where the, like, the Imperium is, is very brutalist. That's not just like brutality. Obviously, that, that's, a, that's a part of it, but it also means like in the design. architecture and the design yeah. and everything is utilitarian. Like even like the ship, like the hallway isn't exactly even designed for like to look There's exposed wires and there's, you know, the armor is, is, is sort of a patchwork. A lot of the equipment is run down and, and repaired with, with mismatched panels and, and things are just kind of what, whatever, whatever is necessary to make it work as opposed to, you know, and it's decayed from something a little bit more sustainable in the past. And so that's the brutality of the empire where the other side of that is Velt represents the harmony. And so that is they are they are in tune with nature, they they sustainably grow their own food and and interact together. They're a healthy community. They they sing, they have, you know, they have festivals and etc. And also a really interesting detail about that as well, like the Imperium equipment is like run down and looks like, oh, that might have been awesome 200 years ago and now it's just kind of maintained. So Velt then is the the flip side of that, where 
not only are the the farmers all they they live harmoniously together, but also with with nature. They obviously they grow food, and so they they practice sustainability, etc. But also in their their technology. Whereas with the empire, I mentioned earlier, like things get repaired, and, and there's a lot of, like of rundown technology that has like mismatched parts and exposed wires and and all of that. And it looks like at one point it was great, and it's just kind of deteriorated, and is still you know it's not that it's not powerful or whatever, but it, they're not really concerned about aesthetics or or anything like that. There, there's a lost appreciation for art, you could say, which, you know, coming from Zach, I feel like, you know, there's kind of a point being made there also about the utilitarianism and, and lack of, even though it's this empire, <laughs> like the the a sign of them deteriorating is that they don't care about their, their stuff looking good anymore. They just care about it you know, doing the job, right? That sounds thematically relevant to him. So then with the the Veltians, I thought it was really cool. They said that whenever they repair something, it becomes stronger and upgraded and more beautiful when they repair it. Whereas with the Imperium, something, they'll, if they put a patch on a uniform or they put a, you know, they replace a panel on a piece of machinery, it detracts from the aesthetic. Whereas with the Veltians, their their weapons and their, their clothes and whatever it is, actually improves with age as they take what they've learned and, and improve it and, and, and craft it into something greater than it was prior to the the wear and tear or damage or whatever happened. So Velt and, and the Imperium are those the two sides of that coin of the brutalism versus the harmony and then everything else kind of falls somewhere into those same themes. It is this that we are introduced to in the shot to Michael Huseman. Yeah, so Michael Huseman is Gunnar. It's G-U-N-N-A-R. And he is a farmer. He's the one that goes with Korra when she leaves. So Korra comes to the, after the the death of the, the slain king and the royal family, for some reason, we see later on that she's got a background with the Imperium and they, they care about capturing her for, for some reason. Um, and she's, you know, got a, a particular set of skills. She goes and <laughs> hides out on Velt. And so when the Imperium comes, she's the one that's like, we've got to go get some warriors because you guys don't understand what's coming. Gunnar is like, wow, this is a, she's interesting and amazing and I'm going to go with her. And so he doesn't really know, like his costume is, uh, uh, Stephanie Porter is the costume designer said that it's like his best clothes that he takes with him because like he's never visited these other planets before so he's, he's like for him it's like a you know almost like a sam gamgee um okay oh so he's the real representative of yeah Bell. so i so i don't know exactly how like naive or kind of optimistic he is about things but he's kind of along for the ride because it's exciting to go off planet and um and so he he takes his nice clothes to go to these new places and and so that's his deal we go from that to to what you were talking about no appreciation for art (laughs) these what look to be gigantic you know monolithic statues of people just being turned to dust by what i assume would be the imperial ships yeah and i don't know for sure what planet this is on on set they talked about that they have 14 different worlds but what that means is like worlds as in like settings so some of the like for example the imperium dreadnought uh the king's gaze they would consider that a world that i believe there's only six or seven actual planets that are that are visited which is actually i say only that's more than like any star wars movie i can think of i think where they with that many planets on them but that's where they go to like get the warriors and and etc i think that this one might be sharon 
And the only real notes that I've got about Sharon is that it's it's the more spiritual uh, sort of sort of planet. Concept art had like Buddhist heads, sort of style statues and stuff. So that's what this looks like. Very kind of a, a far more kind of Eastern mythology or mysticism kind of level of connection to the ethereal. And then so here's the Imperium, then just kind of you know blowing it to bits for no reason. And we go from that. It looks like it's Velt. I'm very intrigued. Again, like the Imperium, you know, taking people hostage or whatever, loading them onto ships would be nothing crazy. But the armor being worn by them looks a lot more like, uh, you know, the sort of run-of-the-mill grunt version. Yeah, so there's a few, there's there's Imperium soldiers, but there's a few different classes. And so I, I think that these seem, like seem to be like more normal, like ground troops, but they've also got, which I think we'll see later, what they call Kryptaeans, which are like veterans. They've been around it's not exactly clear how long the um, Brad Elliott, the prop master, said that they've been around, and it's not clear they they have that really really extreme skill set. He said it could be because they've they've just lived a long time and have kind of acquired these skills, or maybe they're hopped up on drugs or something else. But they're just like the Kryptaeans are like the the berserkers, and they're the ones with the swords. Um, that's not these guys. I don't think these guys are seem kind of like the the mall cop version. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out behind, it almost feels as if this these shots are cut to go around. There is a figure in the back that is clad all in red, looking like some sort of alien cardinal. Yeah, and that is one of the priests. You can only make out enough of the face for this mask to be terrifying. The soldier has a little patch with an eagle. Yes, peeking out under him. So the eagle, there, it, there's like a two-headed eagle, I think. There's a lot of very... Nazi or Soviet kind of symbolism on a lot of the Imperium stuff. Uh, but the image of the slain king, I believe, is involves the um, involves like the eagle wings. And so that's that's one of the mm. symbols you're going to see on a lot of uh, on a lot of things that like they've got on their currency, for example. Um, is the uh, is the the eagle stuff. And so usually that's a ref some kind of a reference to to the slain king who I get the impression is held in high regard even though he was assassinated. And so you'll you'll have people who like maybe were involved in the assassination still like holding him up as this as this ideal, kind of leveraging his legacy to maintain control. And like the soldiers are still going to look up to him, right? There it wasn't like a full on coup. It was sort of like a shadow takeover. And now we will enter one of the crazier gear shifts. <laughs> uh <laughs> Cutting to from the burning wheat fields and, and armed arrest of villagers to a gothic funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to start. We know who this character is. Yeah, so I guess I can, I can just I can dig in. We were told by I think uh, let's go as long as we can, ignoring the gigantic bird in the background. <laughs> I, I do have an answer for that actually. Okay. Um, ironically, they they did not tell us that there is an actual griffin in the movie uh, or more than one on the set visit. But once it was revealed, I was like, oh, they. That was all there. But so this is Tarek. Tarek is uh, later on. We know him as like the Conan the Barbarian kind of dude. But here it's not not quite so much. Get you get you a man who can do both. Yeah. Um, so Brad Elliott, again, the, the prop master said that uh, when we first meet Tarek, 
is at his dad's funeral. And so I'm assuming that's what this is. So this is going to be probably a flashback. If in the modern timeline, he's got long hair and less clothes, I guess the clothes could come off quickly, but the hair does not grow that fast. So that, you know, (laughs) looks like about five years of growth. So I think that 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 makes sense if this is maybe even somehow related to whatever power changeover happened. I don't know. Mm. Uh, That just came to me. So that's literally not even speculation that I have based on other information. But so that pendant on his neck or right now, right here, it's like a brooch of some sort. But later on, he's actually wearing it. That is Staz Nair, the actor. It's a... uh, uh, jewelry that was given to him by his fiance in real life, oh, cool. but it has a griffin on it. It's like a wax, <laughs> uh, like a wax press from. Um, there's a lot of the characters, especially in the costumes, have uh, have stuff woven in from from the actors' kind of real real background. So, like st- for example, Staz is Russian and um, and Indian, and so like they even made a language for for these people and in the same way that like the amazonians kind of used gal gadot's accent for yeah in, yeah in wonder woman so they they kind of used a they had a linguist create a language that used a mix of russian and indian accents which i don't even know i couldn't even imagine what that sounds like but uh and worked with him to kind of craft the pronunciation for like a, a big monologue that he's got well his mom or i assume his mother it looks like she has the same one around her neck too. yeah exactly so there's some there's a, a family association of some sort to the griffin and obviously there's some sort of a noble noble family i i kind of think that might be like his dad's griffin or something behind them well, and this, so okay i'm gonna ask the question here because he has feathers as a part of his clothing and he has the griffin thing there, so there are multiple griffins griffins exist to this people that seems to be the case okay. once again I guess they, if you show- once again they did not tell me there would be actual griffins <laughs> so <I'm- laughs> <laughs> but i did know that like the 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 heirloom is like a really important heirloom and the griffin is a, is a symbol tightly associated with with him throughout the movie they all get banners made for them by the Veltians when they go back and join them as warriors and his symbol is the griffin there as well. I guess we'll talk more about his griffin stuff a little bit later on in the trailer, but this I believe is is a so this is a flashback of what I think is his father's funeral and and so that's yeah there's some sort of a royal nobility sort of situation going on and they've got an association with with the griffins then obviously things kind of go downhill for him after this i think he becomes a blacksmith before we meet him okay now i want to call out here because we get the shot overhead of what i presume is his father again you know kitted out in what looks like an actual like almost a wing made out of these feathers and you can see all of the people on either side of the row also have feathers coming off of their shoulders but the six you know pallbearers with bowler hats <laughs> this is anime Earth- so anime. yeah yes <laughs> does earth exist in this? no this is science fantasy it's another at no point did earth exist that we know of in this alternate universe I'm, i need to double check my interview because I, I can't recall exactly if that specific question was asked but i did ask him is this science fiction or science fantasy he's like oh it's science fantasy like this is not oh yeah so um i want to I feel say like you said that any questions or any reference to like earth whether it was like a violin or something was like it's obviously not earth because like these aren't this isn't earth right 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 so um I would, yeah, I need to double check deep in my notes to, to confirm, but okay, I'm but- 99% sure that he said there's no Earth in this universe. And if there is, it's not a part of 
like this is not on earth like these people yeah, if, yeah. if there is an earth it's like a dune situation right where it's like uh hypothetically somewhere it's sometime, all news. but like like the imperium has a totally separate like creation mythology outside of what would they would use if they were from earth but if anybody has six friends and they want to do a really wild cosplay <laughs> um you have it set here that's just to have a i had a moment of like Oh, okay. Zach is going full Zach. Yeah. There is a walking giant Griffin who is participating in a funeral procession. Participating. It's not just like. Yes, exactly. It is walking slowly with the procession. They don't seem concerned about like, what if it goes rogue? Like, I'm curious if it talks. Like, (laughs) And and to kind of what I had said before, like the, uh, you know, hodgepodge of, of echoing stuff, like matching it with uh, a king that I, you know, can't serve of like, oh, right, there will be many potentially. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting, that's a little bit of a misdirection there because that's obviously Staz's dad at that funeral. So that is not the slain king. Um, I'm, um, maybe I'm wrong. I'm I'm 99% certain that's not the slain king. I think that's a separate, uh, a separate dead nobility. Um, Yeah, this is a good time for me to check in with you. Am I imagining that the Sling King died like centuries ago? No. So that that is part of what is a little odd about the the chronology that I'm not I'm not certain on because the Imperium has been in seems to have been in decline for like a a, a hundred or a couple hundred years. Well, yeah, like like you said, if there if there's even time enough to have repairs done on all of this stuff, yeah, exactly. And so, like like a lot of this, like the notion of like, oh, they're not what they used to be. Well, if it happened five years ago, how did things deteriorate that fast? Um, sure, but um, but Balisarius took over as regent five years ago, mm. and my understanding is, I don't think it's explicitly confirmed that Balius. Uh, Belisarius was was involved in the in the death of the king, but that I think they they confirmed okay. that the slain king died five years ago. So I don't know. It's it seems to me like there is something that happened, some sign- event of significance that happened, um, like like you know that resulted in like the prophecy of Princess Isa or whatever. Um, yeah, a few hundred years ago, there, that there's something relevant happened in the timeline back that far. And then also something happened 30 years ago, and then the regime change happened five years ago. But but the death of the slain king was like within five years of the of the start of this. So, um, th- like I said, I think that there's there there's more to come on as far as that goes. But um, but yeah, the slain king is not like a 200 years ago thing, as far as I know. Well, let's proceed <laughs> from this wild. Uh, Griffin funeral to another burning village. Yeah. I I think that's another flashback to a different world. Yeah. And I'm not sure what world that is either, but that is, uh, Duna Bay who plays nemesis. Uh, and she's like a, you know, we'll, we'll see later. Badass sword wielder. Um, my assumption here is that her kind of entry point into becoming that, person is the death of her child here but that's entirely speculation from the trailer i don't know much about her her backstory the biggest thing they told us about <laughs> her is 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 the um 
Uh, there's some slightly spoiler stuff I'll avoid, but um, her costume is is very inspired by her Korean heritage. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll see her again later. Yeah. And then we go to... Uh, what You sent me this screenshot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I imagine you want to speak to this. Um, yeah, I don't know what the hell, hell this is. Calling out... <laughs> no. There is a an eclipse in the background. This this looks this is the most this might be the most anime. This shot. this is one of those examples of I'm looking at concept art on the wall at the set visit, thinking, oh, I wonder what this will look like. Yeah. And then I see the trailer and I think, oh, it's just it's just the thing. They just they just did that that crazy thing that I was curious. They just put that on the screen. Um. So yeah, I don't I don't know what this is. Um. I, I I loosely suspect it's got something to do with like the the titular rebel moon, which is called mm. um, Vana, which we actually I don't think see at all in Rebel Moon, a, a child of uh, of fire, and w- so would would come into the second movie, but we see Korra here and she's got what appears to be most of the team with her. There's like shattered monoliths. I can't even. Yeah, I've got no context for what this is or why or. But for real, that that difference of the reds and blacks in the background and then the heavily lit foreground looks so much like an animation mm-hmm. frame. Um, there are six people here, so we're getting there. But, but like you said, I believe this is our reveal of Korra. Yeah. In what looks like an actually potentially in the same location. There's no tr- classic trailer misdirection here. Yeah. Oh, and the way the hood, man, even the hood blowing off. Yeah, I don't know. You think that's CG or do you think that's real fabric? <laughs> they uh, they um, made a costume designer. Stephanie Porter said that it was an intentional costume design to make everything as flowy and uh, <laughs> and blowing as, as possible, which uh, to me reads... Um, looks good in speed ramping is, is the, is the intention behind that. <laughs> um, but yeah, lots of flowing fabrics, lots of, lots of scarves and trailing ribbons and all, all kinds of stuff in the costumes on this capes. Um, and then we get, yes, capes on capes on capes. Everybody has a cape in this. <laughs> Speaking of which the next shot is a spaceship shadow silhouette, which I will never be able to not see Man of Steel's shadow. Yes, um, from the first flight, you you know us. Uh, we'll always be suckers for a spaceship silhouette over you know furrows. The Firefly runs deep. And then speaking of Cora, we get to see how shredded Sophia Butella is uh, as Cora, because this is outrageous. Yeah, um, and while she is hammering away on a giant bell, like to what you said about the. Um, I guess form and flourish as much as function. I would assume this is now where our back on Velt. Yeah, so this is going to be, I assume, fairly early on in the first movie. Uh, this is just the Imperium arriving. Um, because we even get Den, Den played by Corey Stoll, um, is a village uh elder or of some sort. Um. They've he he does he the Viking he keeps track of crop production and it has a little um uh what do you call it like an old school calculator um 
An abacus? Yeah, they made him like an abacus kind of style. Oh my like, God. Is it like a real abacus or like a space abacus? Uh, well, it's a space abacus, but it's like a normal abacus in, in also space. Also the name of my, <laughs> my, my new death metal band. Yeah. Den, uh, Den for Zavikus. which Crystal will be bass playing <laughs> now, Space Abacus. But yes, yeah, so you wanted to talk about his beard. Yeah, I just it's it's I don't know. I don't. There's not much to say about it. Just Corey Stoll with a huge beard was was is a. Um, I'm just so used to him. You didn't being know you needed hairless. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want to. This just because we're talking about anime. This shot. It's it's one that has been used in a lot of teasers as the, of the spaceships kind of you know almost touching down over the fields. Um, this this triple step waterfall in the background. Yeah. I mean, this looks like it. It looks like it could be like the Grand Tetons or something. But I just I love the no part of this is going to look normal. Right. Like, why would it not just look incredible fantasy? So yeah. So they made a big point with a lot of the planet designs that not just to make them kind of distinct from each other, but also um, distinct from a lot of, they didn't want things to look like, oh, this planet is like this continent of Earth. And like mm. that whole thing is like, they didn't want to do like the desert planet, the ice planet, the, you know, which Star Wars kind of falls into a little bit. And I think there there is a little, it's hard to avoid that entirely in anything sort of sci-fi, but I think you very, it, it feels a lot of, especially in the concept art it felt instead of doing the like oh this this planet is the is the desert planet it, it feels way more like this is the um like name your fantasy realm planet like a lot of like lord of the rings or warhammer or whatever kind of like like you almost expect to see like space elves in this in this movie right <laughs> and so like when you get like the waterfall here that's like a good example of like I think the idea is like that's that's a natural waterfall, like and because it's a space. Why not? Like an avatar, like how you got like the Hallelujah Mountains, right? Or like, you know, you've got those pillars. Obviously, those were man-made in that last shot. But like, you've got that like anti-gravity kind of thing going on. There's just a lot of a lot more um, fantastical stuff in here instead of just like, oh, here is um, Australia, but a planet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we get our – this is what I think what you were speaking to before about how the Imperium operates that Corey Stoll's character says, what are they here for? And Korra, knowing the Imperium, knows that they are here to basically eat this planet to dust. Yeah. Uh, bad news for the people living on it. Now, this next shot. <laughs> Another anime shot. Um, yeah. And the uh, the priest's return. Who is this that we are looking at? Let's start so there. That is Ed Screen's Admiral Atticus Noble. Wow. Okay. Very anime still. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, it, in so Soviet. many ways. I mean, this is a, a little bit more that like the Gundam kind of Soviet space totally. Soviet influence. Um, but you've also seen like there's some Nazi imagery, you know, fascist imagery in the in the banners there. And uh, um, yeah, you've got the the priests coming down the ramp and. I love the capes on yeah, capes. I love the pose of this officer that's waiting for him at the bottom down here. Um, so yeah, Noble is uh, it's it's, it's going to be intense. I think um, it was really wild. Talk. Uh, Ed Screen was on set when we were there, and we, so we got to talk to him. He's very kind of theatrical in his uh, in his understanding of of this. Um, he's he's very excited to play Noble, and he said. Uh, 
he's like noble when we meet him is uh um he's got a what he's got a gun on his hip and a sharp tongue and he's almost thespian and um he kind of keeps it he keeps his cool until he doesn't he says as we say as we say where i'm from when it kicks off it really kicks off very proper very crisp kind of uh you know, British military officer, but then when a switch flips, it's like no nonsense, no mercy, um, Mm. loses all control. And, uh, yeah. So he kind of goes around subjugating worlds. He says he's looking primarily for the blood ax twins or blood ax siblings. Um, so there's Darian blood ax, which is Ray Fisher. And then Cleopatra Coleman plays his sister and they are leading, a rebel insurgency. We'll see a little bit on that later. However, he's got okay. some kind of history with Cora, or he knows who she is, or she's wanted for some reason. Um, and so okay. when he discovers that she exists, it wants to get her. Uh, he's got some kind of political aspirations. Apparently he thinks if he can bring back one of these high price, um, high prized targets might be able to get a spot in the Senate or something. He is what he said in his interview. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's, he's a overly ambitious, um, very, very capable, keeps Shrewd. his, uh, keeps his cool until, uh, and then he gets really scary really fast is my, my understanding of him. So this, uh, the, the rust, you know, this is from the man who brought you 300 yeah. and Batman v Superman and sucker punch. I feel like the imposing, you know, threatening, uh, that is in all of those, like the you know their their domination precedes them almost. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you're talking about like like the the brutalism, right? We're talking about as an aesthetic. Yeah. Obviously, they are they look brutal there, but as a as a brutalist aesthetic, like that is bleeding brutalism in that in this shot. And, and people are going to say space Nazis because they because that's always easiest. Yeah. But I believe the Snyder's clarified that it was more Soviet. More um, fa- general fascistic. Yeah, the, the 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 general fascistic is is a is a good encompassing term. The way what I saw on set seemed to be very uh, fashion is Soviet. Fashion is very Soviet. Uh, symbolism is very Nazi. Mm, so okay. like a lot of the the eagles and the crosses and the the all that kind of stuff is very um, very Nazi. But then, then you get like the green and red, and the and the and the hats, and the you know, like the military uniforms and all that are are way more Soviet. And even like the ships, the interior of the ships, it's almost like a Soviet era submarine, more so than like it's not like a spaceship. It, it's like Battlestar Galactica, th- Battlestar Galactica thing, where it's like a very naval um, kind of aquatic okay. bent for the space stuff. Um, so it's like. You're talking about the the war room, not the like three reused cement hallways <laughs> uh, in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so like the like the bridge of of the yeah, of the yeah. um of totally. the the dreadnought is it's even got a periscope and oh uh, it's it's almost like if you think about like a Star Trek bridge in terms of the orientation, but it's a but like a submarine. It's this flat kind of not cast iron, but like metal surfaces with light up buttons, and um, and little like radar screens and a um, a very narrow wi- uh, window in the front, and then yeah, and a, a periscope 
and that's and then yeah, and then the hallways are are almost octagonal. Yeah, very claustrophobic. Not at all like not nothing like a Star Destroyer in Star Wars, for example. Yeah, I, I love I love this shot. You know, a very Snyder esque sensibility, but the juxtaposition to go from that to what you were saying a close up on Noble. I I think probably angular to the point that few people would recognize him from Deadpool, which is probably what most people would know him from. Uh, He is incredibly lean in this in a way that feels like this adds to that wiry kind of like when he, when he flips, it's, it's going to be intense. Okay. He, uh, when we interviewed him, he ate an apple, um, the entire time and, uh, and he ate the entire apple. Um, the oh core my. and and everything, and drank a black coffee. And he said he's powered by apples and uh, just training oh nonstop. There's a if you haven't seen the behind the scenes um, reel, they did. They've got him lifting like a 45 pound weight, and it's just sinew, just like the entire body is just like cords of like I don't. It's got to be he's got to be like five percent body fat max. And uh, we always oh, see some shirtless stuff of him later in this, but yeah, he's. I think like, like the cheekbones in here, like you could, you could put a baseball in those cheekbones. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Yeah. And the tattoo. Yeah. Interesting. Just that's what I would never think. How do you make, how how do you, well, it's just one of those, it's, 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 it's one of those quirks of the aesthetic that is just so cool about it's this very straight laced, but like not quite like something's not as clean as you would expect mm. from the high collar tailored uniform like okay yeah this guy has a has yeah okay without dwelling on that he is of course saying i found her to what you were speaking to how much were you told about his connection to i'm assuming cora about as the trailer not, does not anything about his connection other than he really wants to find her but I don't know why. Well, let's cut from there to something that you can talk a great deal more about, which is this action sequence that we saw in the first teaser. In the red band version of the trailer, you see this this uh, hatchet tomahawk thing go into a dude's face. There's going to be a R-rated extended edition that comes out at some point. Snyder says there's like over an hour of additional footage for that. So I don't know if that kind of gore is going to be in the like PG-13 version, but there is a red band version of this trailer and it has a shot of her throwing that tomahawk into somebody's face. Um, and it lodges firmly in the middle of their face and it looks like you would expect it to look. Um, but yeah, this is, this is going to be from before she goes to, uh, I, I would based on context clues. I, I can't say a lot of other things, I would say that this is um, kind of pre- this is on Velt, and this is preceding her. Um, likely, what kicks off the need to go get warriors to protect Velt. I like you're you're kind of referencing this shots of somebody very clearly attacking someone with a knife, and they're just being no blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as uh, I would imagine that would change. Yeah, but, the um, uh, the red yeah. band trailer is a little more three hundred esque in the effects on that. We we cut from this to a shot of a city being burned, 
And now to what you were saying, the the timeline of this, this is the same girl from the opening shots. Yeah. Um, and I, after having been taken hostage, I guess saying I'm with the narration, I am a child of war. Yeah. And I don't know because we've already seen a little bit of misdirection in that, but I'm highly suspect that this is little Cora. And so I imagine that this is probably, maybe this is her home or where she's from. Sophia Batella said that, uh, one of the things she identifies with Cora's character is that she grew up in a country that was going through a civil war. And while she didn't experience anything quite like Cora, that she can kind of identify with the, with a little bit of that kind of a, kind of a backstory, which gives me the impression that, uh, you know, Cora has, um, you know, came from something like this. So it kind of makes, you know, that fits into that arc that she's telegraphed a little bit. With just a tank, just a, what looks to be some form of a tank mm-hmm. <laughs> doing tank stuff. And it, okay. Now, and now this next shot, I can't just keep saying this is anime because <laughs> obviously anime takes its inspirations from a lot of different places. I think what I mean when I say that is a total lack of restriction in the artistic inspir- inspirations and influences and combination of worldly architecture, right? Yeah, this makes... For for the purpose well, of like, what it look, looks you've got like. like. It looks like London architecture. <laughs> With these insane spires. Yeah. And then, but then you've also got these massive statues. This dude's got an epic cape. Epic and, cape, uh, yep. yeah. This this baton of sorts. This crowd of hundreds of thousands. Yeah. <laughs> um, perfectly lined up. Yeah, it's uh, it's intense. And the um, uh, do you want to talk about the lens here? Do you want to talk about the uh, the focus we have? No, going on? I mean it, it's it's uh, it's soft. I've seen softer. All right, let's go to who he is presumably giving this speech to and look who that is. That's yep. Cora. Cora as a short haired soldier of the Imperium twist. Yeah. So I don't know to be, be careful. I think about this. I will say that in the, in the art room, there was a, a picture of her in a military uniform and they were like, Oh, by the way, don't talk about that. That's a spoiler. Of, co- but, of course, that sounds like a but, but here is a is Cora in a military uniform. So it leads me to be like, wait. So is that is this spoiled now, or is there more? Is there more to that, or or is this just mm. not actually really a spoiler? I don't know. I mean, she has a mysterious past. So even beyond this, there is some. There is, like, I think um, Ed Screen uh, Noble even calls her the Scar Giver, which is the title of the second movie, right? So there's yeah. there's something more to her than just some, you know, random private in the the Imperium military. But I, I could speculate. We, we, we could speculate, but I think we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, um, accepting Korra in it, did they speak much about the sort of rank and file soldiers of the Imperium. I think you compared to how we saw them previously in the trailer, it's sort of like armored maskless people. This seems like a, an intentional shift. Yeah. Well, I think you can see from, we know like, uh, Jaiman Hansu's Titus was, was, you know, taken from his people and his family and, and kind of became a soldier. Um, Korra was, was, we think abducted and became a soldier, but so you see here, there's a bunch of different, these people look like they've, they're not all from the same place, 
but they all seem enthusiastic and not in a necessarily subjugated way. So they, they have some sort of pride in their accomplishments or positions in the military, um, even if the Empire is, is maybe not, not altogether good for everyone. Um, obviously, this is before the, uh, the death of the royal family, but I think this gives a glimpse at like, you know, I don't know if that's obvious. What do you mean? Well, this is going to be more than the more before Cora goes into hiding. Okay. All right. So your, your conjecture on your part, this is in the time. So she would have been serving an unknown leader, uh, raising that staff. Could that be I, the slain King raising that staff? It could be. Um, I wouldn't, that was not necessarily my assumption, but I, I, I don't know okay. enough about who that is or what it looks like to know for sure. But yeah, but I would say this is, this is, they are they are in support of of the the slain king and the imperium and all that stuff at this point. Um, they are all on board with authoritarianism. <laughs> we learned that Cora was taught that love is weakness. Um, we see her having a romantic entanglement with, I believe this is Rory Gibson. Um, I believe playing accredited as Cora's classmate does not make it out of the flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, it, it appears. Um, but we even get these. How? Okay, hold on. <laughs> I need to stop because the shot after that goes absolutely insane. But this feels. I can I just say how glad I am to see Zack Snyder getting back into that um, sucker punch prologue uh-huh. style. Well, like you said, flashback. I assume it's flashback. I guess it might not be, but that sort of. I can only describe it as like a hyper real, almost like music yeah. video, which, which I like mainly well, because it's, very, it's just it's sucker not punch, done. but it's also very 300. I mean, it's all of it. Yeah. The, the thing that, um, I think it's the, it fits as dreamlike. I, that's what, that's the movie that I think I fixate onto, but even the way mm. that like this guy dies staring, ah, man, I want to know their story, but I believe you have nothing to tell us about this. Yeah. Are we to assume that Cora's departure from the army might be less to do with some devotion to a slain king and more to do with a personal something? Um, that is a possibility. I was led to believe that. I'll just say I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> from there, the trailer erupts into total space battle, Warhammer chaos. Yes. Um, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing to look upon. Yeah. And this, this shot of her planting the flag, I think is immediately like a top Snyder iconic shot yeah. for me. This, the, the, it hits as hard as like, I, like Leonidas breaking the arrows off his shield or, um, you know, it's like one of those moments, I think. Yeah, and I mean, to to the point that you're making, right? I mean, this is, if she's erecting the flag, then she seems to be very much still faithful of the cause. Yep, and you see you got that eye symbol on the flag again. Yeah, the eye symbol, and then this, um, it's like an Orthodox cross. Yeah, so I don't know, I haven't had a chance to look up all those symbols, but like, that's all over the, like, the, priest. the priests, and... Um, it's this, yeah. It's this double, this double cross. It's a big, a big common usage in the Imperium, and I don't know what kind of real world history that type of symbol has. Mm. Which obviously, it's, it's not going to be extend from that, but they they draw from, you know, like the, the the symbols in this are you know inspired by you know fascist symbols or whatever other um you know. It symbols. does underscore so, that sort of 
I don't know, did they give an impression that it is like a theocracy, like the fusion of state and faith? Uh, yeah. To an ex- I mean, like the priests are a government role. I mean, it's very, it's very, um, it's, I don't know how Roman that is, but it's very, you know, it feels like a Catholic, you know, mid-century or not okay, mid, yeah. mid uh, yeah. millennia. Like Belsarius yeah. has a bit of a Borgia vibe. Yeah, the you know no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. I think they <laughs> these yeah. guys look like that just a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, Cora is is kicking ass here, and we get a cool um, slow mo gunfire effect. Which uh, this is obviously going to be scratching everyone's itch for more sucker punch. You know, World War One battle, just because he hasn't done something directly you know equated to that. Mm-hmm. What does someone in a Zack Snyder movie look, look like using a gun? I really only have the one movie. <laughs> but yeah, Korra, monster, um, a full metal something. And now we have to make way for Nemesis's hat. Yes, that is called a gat. Okay. And uh, and Zach specifically, uh, Stephanie Porter was like, Zach sent me a picture of this hat. It's a <laughs> Korean hat called a gat. And like Zach like, texted her a picture of it and she was like, oh, yes. Like they were looking for some kind of hat, and Zach is like this one, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a Korean like a traditional Korean hat, but it's uh, they were all very very proud of of finding that look for her. <laughs> no, no, no sooner have I processed the the beauty of this uh, silhouetted hat that I am looking at. Yeah, speaking of sucker punch, I'll let you I'll let you take away what I am looking at here. So this is uh, Jenna Malone. As Harmada, um, a giant spider woman mm-hmm. hybrid alien. Is she reminded creature. you of the Borg Queen? You are not alone. Yes, uh, minus the literal spider eyes. Yeah, that's it's wild. Um, the, the, I don't know. So they they talk about her role as a cameo. I I, I think that it's not like a blink and you miss it cameo, but I imagine it's not a. A massive part, but obviously this is a big fight she has with Nemesis here. Um, this <laughs> is the planet Dagus, which is like the Blade Runner kind of planet. Okay. Um, I I don't really have much more context. Do than we know that. who this person is that she's cradling? No, and I, I, yeah, I <laughs> I don't even really know how to speculate much about Harmada's role in the movie, and I'm not sure. I think if I were to speculate, I would say that given Nemesis's past, she is out, you know, saving children (laughs) from places in the world where children are being harmed. And I get the impression Harmada is is, Um, um, a boogeyman in Dagus that is taking children and doing whatever spider women do with children. And so my assumption would be that you know they want to take nemesis and she's like i can't leave until i purge the city of this wicked spider woman and they're like okay well we'll help you do that because we need you to come with us to fight the imperium and then she's like okay so she fights armada and then and they go that's how i I would kind of but I, i i've got no idea i mean there's this is kind of wild and disconnected and out there (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of wild and out there, tell me about Nemesis's swords here. Yeah, so this is one of those areas where, when it when I'm, I'm almost 
I'm probably going to be frustrated forever that one of the first reports about this movie's existence mentioned that it was a Star Wars pitch at one point in time. It was that was a, a a brief moment in time in like the middle of the movie's development over the years that they were like, oh, maybe it could be a Star Wars movie. Obviously, everyone's question then is like, well, are there going to be lightsabers? How are they going to do that? And so now everyone's assumption is like, oh, these are the Rebel Moon lightsabers, and that is probably going to be the easiest shorthand way to refer to them. But they're actually they are they're they're swords. They're just regular swords, but they um well not regular swords, but they are, they are blades. <laughs> I don't get why everyone's so weirded out over these totally normal swords. Yeah, and they get superheated. They're like a special metal that can get to like a super, super hot level where they'll burn through like just, they'll cut through anything like butter. And so a lot of similarities with lightsabers there, except it's a little bit more, uh, more heavy metal, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yes. There is a little bit more to the mythology about Nemesis specifically and the way that she wields them. I think there's some mythology behind the swords. So you can see here, like she's got these like kind of robot gauntlets. Yeah. They're like, they're glowing. Yeah. I don't know how much I'm not, I, I, they were dancing around that as, as, as spoiler territory. So I don't, I don't think know how much more dig into that, but it's, there's a whole thing revolving around her and her gauntlets and the swords and the significance behind that. The uh, the Kryptan sh- soldiers for the Imperium also wield swords, which I believe also get super hot, but they it's done in a different way for them. And so it seems like people who don't have their hands like this, their swords are blue instead of red. And so I think the gauntlets might have something to do with that. Maybe the swords don't get as hot, or maybe it's more of a... They, he, uh, Brad Elliott, the, the prop master, compared it to like um, Black Widow's batons, so it might be more of an electricity instead of a heat, or like a low blue flame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't. So there's there's some some wild kind of differences in there, but you can see obviously there's a lot of similarities with lightsabers, but also like there's something kind of fundamentally different going on with them that makes it a little bit a little bit wilder. Yeah, I mean the the way you really get this if you slow it down and go frame by frame, but it it looks like um you know when you have an oven burner on, yeah, that it is it underscores the heat coming off of it. Um, well, and you can even see here like her gauntlets seem to be heat. like the handles themselves are molten. Like these are not just like hot blades, and she's holding onto a handle. Like like the gauntlets seem to be powering the heat. Yeah, and props to the uh, props. Um, <laughs> yeah. Props to the effects people for for getting in all of the, the these effects are nuts. I think in this scene also it's cool to point out standing behind her are Charlie Hunnam's Kai. Yeah. Um who we haven't really talked about yet but is a uh, basically Han Solo. Could it be? Um, <laughs> and then uh Cora and and then Tarek and I'm not sure and someone from uh, Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously this is in the cr- recruitment process, but they seem to just kind of be standing around. This is why I'm like, I think that she's like, I have one thing to do and then I can go with you, kind of. Is this the situation. planet they were landing on in the previous one? I don't think so. Okay. More insane spider action. Um, yeah. What looks to be a, a practical Jenna Malone kitted out as up the upper half of the spider creature. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what looks like it might be that kid uh, in the, on the left. So hopefully um, everything works out fine. 
Yeah. Um, also interesting for, for Jenna Malone, uh, for her armada, they, she's got some sort of like an organic spear weapon that they designed. Yeah. When we saw all the props, they had them separated out into Imperium, Velt, and Rebels. Basically, was like the the kind of assortment of like the aesthetics. The Rebel stuff was all basically just stolen and tricked out and defaced Imperium equipment. Okay. The Velt stuff was all like you know, wooden, rustic. You know, even their guns had like wooden handles and stuff instead of. Whereas, like all of all of the Imperium weapons were are like something from not quite Halo, like more um Yeah, I think we saw them squared off and yeah, you've seen those. And then but then then they had this one thing that was this it was like the the Harmada's spear was an entirely different aesthetic and they said it would be some sort of like an organic material. So there's something about her that is aesthetically entirely separated from the way that everything else in the movie is conceived. So I don't know if that makes her more important or if that's just an additional side thing, but she she is very much injected into the story in a way that seems to be very alien to not just kind of everything else going on, but also the very aesthetic kind of orientation of the way everything else is designed. Nice. Uh, I can't wait to see this this fight. I loved it in the first episode of The Witcher, <laughs> and I want more human versus spider leg combat. I the difference in vibe projected from our first look at Noble to Noble with his coat open revealing a white dress shirt and black necktie is startling. <laughs> you know, this is just like Cowboy Bebop, you know, like it's just yeah. such a massive um credit to Snyder that this does fit into his aesthetic. Like it just without even if you showed me this frame with these two metal masked priests carrying a literal gigantic holy tome. Um, and this guy looking like he stepped out of a, an anime fascist biker gang, you know, like if this is, this is like, um, there's like a character in uh, like street fighter or something like this is like hipster M bison. Yeah. I, I'm yes. It would, it, it's baffling. Um, but then if you said this is Zack Snyder's new movie, it'd be, Oh cool. Okay. Yeah. And we get the, I think again, the, the wing motif on the metal yeah. on each side again. Did they speak it? Did they speak at all about the specifically what the, what purpose the priests serve? Cause now they have this book and I'm fascinated. They, so they go around. Is that part of like the act of taking well, a planet? The books. Yeah. So the, the biggest way they talked about the priest was their role in like subjugation. They'll, they'll come down and they'll land on a planet. The, I don't know if they are. Even the, the the scribes were described as like one thing, like they do this, you know, like Bentat style yeah, yeah. Dune stuff, and the priests, like, I mean, the, the 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 biggest thing they said with them is like this: they'll smash the people's heads and like glean yep. things from their brain. I don't know what kind of insanity that takes on. It reminds me a lot of like the um, the oracles in uh, Three Hundred, though that level of like political influence and mysticism but also like they're being bought off and so but the, so they so they go around like with noble obviously they're getting off ships behind them and stuff and so it feels very um yeah religious authority kind of giving purpose to the imperium mythology i do know that there there is a the actual religion of the imperium gets something some sort of a 
uh, foundational story as a part of the flashbacks. So the priests seem to be a big deal. I don't know how much that you don't gets mean the ex- foundation of the religion. You mean the genesis of of humanoids, I guess. Yeah, well, but also, you know, so therefore where the religion comes from also. Yeah. So um, that's one of those things where, like, I don't know how much. It's like on the set visit for Army of the Dead, they're, like, talking about Area 51 and stuff like that a lot. And an alien origin. I was like, wow. And then it's like in the movie, but it's almost like you don't realize it if it's not there. So I don't know how much the mystical religious stuff is going to be like front and center plot wise, but obviously it's a big deal with the priests specifically. All right. Well, I'll move. Anytime I see a young character uh, younger than, you know, 35 in a movie, I'm like, oh, who is this when they were young? (laughs) But this screaming young man. I don't understand the context around this because it looks like there's guards behind him. Do we know what is what this shot is of? No idea. Okay. I was like, is this going to be, are those, those, you know, bracers? Is that going to be a telltale sign? But, um, but no, we will instead move into a undead king. This took me multiple times looking at this to try and figure out what I was even seeing. A like, patchwork royal robe with what looks like a witch king crown and spear landing yeah i even went through that in slow motion i think it might be jimmy that's what i was wondering because but it is different from his um horns if it is jimmy that's amazing i want this for jimmy i want jimmy to have a cape i want jimmy to have this cape yeah i i have no idea what this is (laughs) Okay, excellent. I spent a lot of time trying. It's one of the few shots where I was like, what is that? (laughs) And uh, I can report that I don't know. We'll move on to the next. To someone else jumping off. Yeah. Taking a closer look, I I think now we know who this is. Once again, a a massive anime shot where it's like literally looks like a submarine, a flying submarine crashing into a building. There's the dude with the, the, the fedora or what's the flat top hat yep um this looks like this could be a match to Tarek's mother mm. in the funeral scene maybe or it's just you know we're we're just hitting the same notes here um whether it's the same planet or or whatnot but man yeah this is like i think it's worth calling out a, a feature of heavy metal was a fusion of barbarian fantasy science fiction but then also steampunk mm-hmm. um, where it fit in and the, you know, Victorian England steampunk also f- mixing in like just other European, like Spanish um, influences here is just out outrageous. Do we know what ship this is? I've got, I've got no idea. The main dreadnought is called the King's gaze. I don't know if that's what that is or not. Okay. Or dreadnought. Physically um, slamming. Uh, very, very um, Krypton, Man of Steel vibes here. And, um, you know, I hope she's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I guess I'm not confident. I want to believe, based on the fashion, that on the left side of the screen, these spaceships are like little London cabs. <laughs> you can't tell me they aren't. But, again, um, more love for the anamorphic mm-hmm. lens flares. There's just no match I, for I it. I don't know and if I can even count the number of flares in this shot. This is, yeah, Krypton is going to be another touchstone for that too, which would be cool. An aerial bombardment in the next shot. 
Is it, or do we just say this is cool space stuff and we don't want to get too deep into what spoilers this could be? I wouldn't even know how to attach it to a spoiler. It's it's okay. cool space stuff. Cool space stuff. Aerial bombardments. We love a lens flare. Now this is guaranteed to be E. Duffy's character. Yeah, Milius. Okay. <laughs> but suitably with a combat knife in, uh, mouth, in their teeth. Yeah. yeah. What do we know about Milius? Obviously named for John Milius. Yeah. So Milius, uh, John Milius, it's a combination of John Milius and, uh, oh, there's another Milius something. I'll have to look it up. But yeah, Milius is a rebel fighter. They were a prisoner on a, I think on, on Dagus, but Dagus is also where Nemesis was, but they're part of like a, like a, they had mining equipment in the, in the prop room that is related to, to that. And, uh, yeah, I don't, there's not a whole lot on there. I think that the relationship to the, the blood axes is like, they, they, they say that Darien blood axe has this whole like band of rebels, but really the only other two named ones are his sister, uh, Devra and then Milius. Like, uh, like how Tarek had the, the personal influence on his costume. Milius also has, uh, their characters influenced by E. Duffy, who this is their first movie ever. And yeah. E. Duffy is non-binary, and so is Milius. So that's kind of something that they, they took from the representation there. Oh, but cool. um, overall, I'm not even sure if Milius is like one of the proper, like, I don't know if it's exactly seven samurai equivalents, but I don't know if Milius is one of the like main crew or if Milius and Devra tag along with Blood Axe or even if Blood Axe himself is one of the is one of the main ones and the the rebellion seems to be something that's almost happening on the side slash background and may factor more into like something down the road but we'll we'll see i don't i don't i don't really have enough anchors here to kind of speculate on on how it all fits in okay then why why get juman hunsu if you don't let him scream yeah. <laughs> this looks like a scream of, of victory, so I hope that he at least gets to experience some form of it in the movie. Did did they talk at all about his we spoke about him being disillusioned. Did they did they speak at all about him coming back into the story? Not not entirely. I, this I I my understanding is he becomes a like I said I think he's a gladiator of some sort. If you look at the armor here, this seems like a like a gladiator uh, gladiator arena oh, so yeah, like he's sure. winning he's winning a match here part of his his costume design is influenced by uh senegalese wrestling uh right juju wrestling specifically they call it where like instead of having like a coach you have like a spirit guide <laughs> or something Whoa. where um there's lots of like they have like s- like pouches on their belt to like throw powders and stuff at each other as they're fighting um, and that was something that he kind of brought to the role himself also that I imagine is going to kind of tie into the gladiatorial aspect. Given that he was a general, I have a suspicion that he knows, has some kind of connection to Korra. Oh, if someone on that side of things is going to know. Yeah, um, maybe sure. knew her as a child or knows her larger significance, whatever that is. But uh, that's that's entirely kind of conjecture. Yeah. I guess the fact that, that we see him singled out on the battlefield in that like massively ornate armor and that he is a general, it's like making a point of, he's not just a former soldier like Cora was. He's yeah, a guy who would know stuff. Yeah. 
And then as we as the explosions from a dock fire off and things get heated up, we literally get a character saying, one moment, and this is the much talked about Balsarius. Yeah, and and I'm pretty confident this is the aged up version. So there's there's some prosthetics and beard going on okay. here. Um, he's supposed to be like in his fifties here, and so interesting. Um, but yeah, feels very like. Um, well, then having reigned for a long time, five years, my understanding. He's a, he's oh, a regent. Right, right, okay, right. I see why this is so complicated. Yeah, right. If there's something about that tells me that there's more to the the kind of Game of Thrones aspect of the story than than we're aware of. But but yeah, and so this is obviously kind of part of the flashbacks of his coronation. Or I don't, he's a regent, so I, obviously there's something preventing him from outright claiming kinghood himself. But kingship kinghood i don't authority or denethor vibes yeah okay this is fraffy if we didn't say before yeah and then i i love the spaceship designs that are going on here like this looks like the kind of designs that you usually get in one movie but all crammed together in one shot yeah and uh something cool about that too is uh stefan duchamp was talking about how he remembers being a kid and like watching Star Wars and then immediately going to his notebook and drawing the ships. And so he said one of the things that they really focus on with the designs was making sure that the silhouettes mattered, that you could watch this movie and know like in the same way with Star Wars where you're like, and I did the same thing too, where I was like, oh, that's the Death Star and that's an X-Wing and that's a Y-Wing and that's a TIE Fighter. And like, I don't need to go back and watch it a hundred times to get it right. Like I can draw... As a 10-year-old, I can just go draw all my own battles, which I did. I got a sketchbook full of, you know, different versions of the Death Star battle and Star Destroyers and all that thrown in. Brag. Um, and so so with this, they they did the, you know, they said that was kind of, they would, they would get the, the design and then they would kind of simplify it until they had a silhouette that was like something... Um, maybe not say iconic, but like something that was, you know, you could look at that and then say like, oh, that's not only looks good, but like I can go draw that now as a, yeah, I can, I can hear the, the tuck tuck of this ship. Like the, um, is it the noodle, the noodle shop in fifth element <laughs> Yeah, that comes up to his uh, balcony? Yeah. Uh, and then we get the, uh, shot of Cora taking off which looks to be potentially the same shot as what we saw before. So I don't want to look at that because of potential spoilers. But what I will talk about is this beautiful, grungy <laughs> velt. No, this no. is desert. I think this is uh, New Wody, which is where... I don't know if it's where Stasner's, uh if it's where Tarek is from or just where they find him. But I get the impression that that's where this is. It's inspired by like a North African kind of uh, climate. Okay, we do get it. We get an inter. Oh, who is this, Stephen? That we're looking at here. Are you talking about Ray Porter? I am talking about Mr. Ray Porter. <laughs> uh, that's Dark Side. <laughs> Special shout out to this gorgeous tooth <laughs> that is just peeking through. 
Um, incredible. He don't want no trouble. Um, like you said, very different from his previous uh, Snyder <laughs> collaboration as Darkseid. Yeah. We do get an insert shot here that does look like Velt. Yeah, that's definitely misdirection with the with the Porter shot. Yeah. And the, uh, what, an insurgent attack on one of the um, Imperium ships, potentially? Yeah. Although, that's, if you, wa- if you watch that um, <laughs> carefully, you'll see that the, there's some speed ramping going on there where everyone lifts off the ground um, and then just kind of... Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, that's a great little... He's doing speed ramping. That's cool. Yeah. Trying it out. But then, yes, we get uh, Cora and... What do we know about... Charlie Hunnam's character here. So Charlie Kai? Hunnam is Kai. He is a Zach called him a bounty hunter. Uh, Stephanie Porter, costume designer, called him a rogue. But I mean, it's Han Solo. I I think. I, well, I well I say like, don't compare this to Star Wars. I mean, that's he's he's got the ship. Um, he uh, he's maybe he's a little more blinged out. Um, he they said that he's got a grill that they made for him. Um, he's got a lot of rings. Um, I, I remember him him owning a ship. Yeah, <laughs> singled out as we need a ship. And so, well, and interestingly, um, another <laughs> another shameful um, maybe it is a little bit like Star Wars thing. I'll admit, um, on Velt, <laughs> the the place where they go after um, when they're trying to leave is they have to go to a town called Providence, uh, which is like Beautiful. a Japanese frontiers town. That's where the spaceport is. And they've got the the bar at Providence um, where they've got all these wild aliens, if this sounds familiar at all. And they're looking for a pilot to take them off world. It's Cora, the, the soldier who has run away along with an innocent farm boy who doesn't know what he's getting into. And they need to find a ship and they find this rogue smuggler guy to take them off. And they've got all these wild aliens, like that big horned alien that you saw, the woman with the, the massive horns. is uh, That's just a background character from from that scene. They, uh, there's also a, uh, army of the dead Easter egg in that scene, which I won't say more about that until later, but, um, uh, oh, and then Deborah Snyder said, uh, it's a bar in Providence where people, they, they play music and they, they've got gambling games that they design that are going on there. She said it's also, also kind of brothily. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know what I'm that means other the than horned <laughs> yeah horned maybe lady so uh but yeah a little bit a little bit harder pg-13 potentially our version of moss Eisley, essentially lovely and uh, but anyway so i'm assuming that that's where they meet kai because they need him to to get off world and so you know clearly he's one of the earlier companions to join because he's here with her to pick up staz nair's Tarek. we know oh and I and that's my cue to talk about the griffin, right? Yes. In the background, a black griffin. Yes. Who is, um, I love it. It's a, such a Western, a black griffin, and then the ranch hands uh, scrambling around this, <laughs> this very overactive griffin. Uh, I love that. Do we know about this, this shot of Cora in the robe sporting some gun combat paired with the previous shot of... Kai pulling his pistol makes me makes me think that they might run into some trouble. Yeah, I, I've got no idea where that is. <laughs> okay. Well, I love I like you said, more speed ramping on the muzzle flash. Love it. Yep. That that seems to be a Velt farmer. Their guns are a little bit more um more like elephant guns and and higher caliber impact than the 
whereas the uh, Imperium guns are more like militarized. You oh, you are referring to uh, this is Stuart Martin, mm-hmm. who will be familiar to um, fans of the Army of the Dead universe, Army of Thieves. He played. Um, uh, I won't spoil it, but he played a central role in that film as an action star. Now getting to be an action star, <laughs> which is uh, excellent. Good for him. Uh, yet another. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. This is the shot of Nemesis I want to get into here because this looks like. Are they hiding? What is so this? It looks like there's a bar fight brawl of some kind. They flip the tables over. Is that what? Yeah. And they're hiding behind the tables, and then she comes out to confront someone, maybe. It's just so weird because they're not moving. You look over there; it looks like a t- like tables with with bar stools put up on top of them. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm just looking at context clues. I don't know. Yeah, because there's a um, the person under her arm. I can't make out who that is, but they. Well, it's another opportunity for these swords to come into play, and here you can really see the 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 forearms mm-hmm. just lit up with energy. Yeah, I love, man, the heat on those. I can't wait to see how those look uh, like in close-ups. Do you want to talk about the uh, <laughs> avoidance of light issues? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they, um, anyone who, who knows my my love of the, the color clipping and Obi-Wan, I, I got to see them using some of these on set, and they did shoot with these LED batons. And I asked Zach how they avoid color clipping, and he just said carefully, and we make sure we test beforehand. And uh, he has is aware that other productions have uh, not done as good of a job with that. And he said that they they aren't um, lit as, nearly as much as lightsabers, so that made it easier that they were a little bit dimmer. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that was a. a f- um, probably the highlight of my day was getting to talk to Zach Snyder about LED color clipping with laser swords. <laughs> Bide my time here. This is Tarek? Yes. Okay. And here we can see a very different looking Tarek than the one in the... Um, yeah. Are we to are we to assume... Did you get any specifics about where this is, how he gets here? No. Uh, because of the griffin, I'm, I'm assuming that maybe it's the same planet, but different i believe he's become a blacksmith and uh so he's left his family behind but he's still got this griffin pendant on passion for the animal yeah so he's got some sort of uh you know he's he's maintained the the care for the like family connection and heirloom but uh yeah that's all i really know about that kind of assuming that this is um I think each character has a like a personal trial or whatever. I don't know if they need help from the rest of the team or not. I believe they're where, called loyalty missions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've got like Nemesis fights Hermata. That shot earlier I said I think is of um, of Titus after like winning a gladiator match. I'm I'm suspecting this is his uh, his little uh, okay. thing he's got to do before he can join up. I gotta I gotta catch Machamp. Machamp. <laughs> This giant axe. I, I, the prospect of a Zack Snyder gladiator battle is too much for me to, um, too much for me to even consider. This is, if you want to talk about heavy metal again, yeah. Um, I, I imagine the Frazetta vibe will be intense here. Really forearmed. Okay. Next up from director Zack Snyder, we know him. Water Planet. Will you? Do we know the Water Planet? 
let's see where I got the names all written down. There's one planet that I I don't know anything about other than the name. Gondaval. So maybe this is that. I but this could be I I don't know. The narration you and I both know fear. Um and we get a shot of Cora that is is this short-haired Cora? Yes. Okay. Maybe that's her escape. I love the lighting. It's a beautiful shot, but I don't I so now I'm wondering if this is related to that red eclipse. Oh yeah. That we saw earlier, right? That's why I was thinking that that might have something to do with Toa, the mother world slash the the um, right. the rebel moon, the titular yeah. rebel moon. Uh, I don't know. It's, All right. She's in an elevator or something. It could be anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now we get this um this interesting sequence of this looks like where Milius was maybe prior to being what recruited into the rebels or yeah and this is so this is probably the blood axes liberating prisoners i'm gonna assume yes because we get darian Mm -hmm. they are freedom fighters this is our saw guerrera just to keep driving home yeah something like that he's a uh obviously you can see in the shot here he's got dreads he's huge the the uh the prop master was like ray fisher is a big dude and so I wanted to give him a big gun. And so he said that whenever he would propose anything to Zach, he would make three different versions of it as like a cardboard cutout or something first to kind of approximate yeah. size. He says he'd do a small one, a medium one, and a and a and a ridiculously large one. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then he kind of had a game going to see if he could. Um, or I, I asked him, I said, did you ever find one that was too ridiculously large for Zach? He's like, you know, I tried to see if I could get one, like make it so big that he would be like, oh, no, man, that's too big. But basically every time I gave him a suggestion, he picked the the ridiculously large one. So um, so that is Ray Fisher's gun. That's a ridiculously large gun. And uh, yeah, and not a whole lot is known about Ray. I'm kind of questioning how big maybe his role even is he's not in like the main character poster he's leading a rebellion i can very much see him saying like no i'm not gonna go protect your moon i'm doing something more important which would mean it's entirely possible he's set up for a future sequel or spinoff or something as like a main character in his own kind of situation Uh, because they get milius like they talked more about milius than they did about about blood axe so i was assuming maybe milius like joins blood axe but now i'm kind of wondering if maybe milius goes with them and blood axe doesn't and i think people, mm. people would be really surprised by that if it turns out that like ray fisher is just like sequel bait um and not actually a um a major player although i would be on board for that yeah i mean if they if they're like oh here's a spinoff all about ray fisher i'd be like oh sweet let's yeah. that gun and the, I mean, the just the like the trio of ships behind them also drive home. Like this isn't some rinky-dink, you know, group of freedom fighters. Did so? This is a resistance specifically to the yeah. Imperium. Okay, I think they call it an, an insurgency. Well, Milius looking at Blood Axe the way that any of us would uh, if liberated. Yeah, Ray, by Ray him. wasn't on set when we were there, but they did show us like a sizzle reel, and in that he said that uh, Blood Axe is a freedom fighter, a liberator, and a full-on battle warrior is the way that he described the character. I just want, I, I want to talk more Griffins. I want to point out also in this shot of Tarek kneeling before the Griffin, 
on the leftmost side of the screen, there appears to be a cowboy. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that is going to be called out. I hope that is just a full head to toe cowboy. I know one of them, but one of the hats is kind of rounded. So it looks like it could be sort of passable as not a cowboy hat, but just a blatant cowboy. I want, you know, I mean, once again, that's uh, it's straight anime, like I where like cowboy bebop yeah. or, or Gundam or something where you're like, Oh, I guess there's just a cowboy in this scene. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> Tarek. I don't know if this is what they were ready for, but obviously the Griffin whisperer. Yeah. And so what I don't know is if he has a history with this particular Griffin or if I don't know how all of this mythology works. If this is like he's just, he's got to get all Griffin or or if this is like his, his Griffin are... or 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 yeah. what. And I also don't like does the Griffin go on a ship with him? Does it come back to battle on Velt? Does it I don't know. There's so many questions about this that I have no context for. Yeah, and then we get these, again, a little bit of speed ramping. You said Zack Snyder couldn't speed wrap a guy running, but it, it's this cool shot where it looks like the, the Griffin is actually not yet taking off. I also feel like we should probably just slow down and look at how gorgeous yeah, feathers. Well, I mean, it's with all that Owls of Gahul R&D. Like, yeah. yeah, of course, that's why he did it. But like the uh, mm-hmm. black feathers and then, oh, and then make them gigantic. Just un, unreal. And the both just two beautiful specimens here taking to the air. And then again, <laughs> a outrageous heavy metal <laughs> crossing over the sun. This is absurd. This has me so hyped. Right. Th- yeah. This was the moment where I, where I was like, oh, I legitimately have no idea what this movie is going to be for real. And then landing on the griffin, wrapping legs around its head, and then uh, beginning to fly. And obviously, we'll come back to that. And then at two minutes and 20 seconds, we reach the real climax of the trailer. We have got our horses. Horses confirmed to exist. Well, so these are, they shot with horses. I see horses. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if this is incomplete, like if they just didn't do the effects yet. Or if it's or just going to be the heads of them. Or maybe if we don't. I don't know what all is being changed, but they wrapped them in some kind of a green screen suit. Yes. Um, and the, so these are some sort of alien beast, but they shot it with horses. Um, but, but they are, they are not space horses. They are some kind of alien mount. Horses for the time being. <laughs> Ed screen, hairless, ab- absurdly lean. Yeah. Powered by apples. Powered by apples and black coffee. And are these... See, because here's the thing. I am I would normally think with the hats and everything, these are priests. Like the hats, are these just Imperium well, hats? They've... So Debbie told me that they also have some sort of an, a medical technology that's like some kind of an advanced like regeneration, remaking oh. something or other. And so I'm wondering if this is, it would make sense if maybe that's like a, a, a sect of the religious order that is medicinally oriented. I'm not entirely sure. Well, and like, <sighs> I do have, I have more to say probably about that scar on him though, I think. Please do. So I didn't realize this until just looking at it right now, but so the, the weapons technology we haven't talked about yet, but the, the guns 
all have these cartridges that are like plasma tanks, like compressed plasma. And they actually have like light up indicators on the side, They're actually functionally on the guns, like battery powered or whatever. They're like a little line for each shot that they've got. And the guns shoot then what they call, um, they call them lava corks, oh. which is just like a, like a, a thing of plasma. So they said if it hits like a metal bulkhead or something, it'll like drip molten, whatever. But then so also if they shoot people, um, it'll, it'll burn a, like cauterize a hole right away. And so that looks kind of like he got shot in the chest with one of these guns. And I could be wrong, but just the kind of the size and like nature of it looks like that might intended to be a scar representing one of those, one of those lava corks. Okay. It's interesting because as a result, the guns all have a, have a much lower kind of register sound to them. Uh, like then the sci-fi kind of pew pew, they've all got like a lower blast. And then of course, all of the, all of the, um, the farmer's guns, then they actually say those shoot like what they call a lava puck. Um, it's a much bigger like caliber than, uh, than the Imperium ones. But anyway, so that's, that's kind of my suspicion there is that he got shot in the chest with one of those lava corks. Okay. I will point out, he doesn't appear to have the tattoo. Oh, interesting. So I don't know to look too much of that, but if that is a, um, do we know how long he's been serving? You just, anytime you introduce, um, healing, I'm like, does that mean characters can be really old? Hypothetically, yeah. I I have some suspicion about things involving that or maybe even cloning or something. I don't but that's wild and out there and unbased and I think there's some based on what we've seen in this trailer, you know, what do you what do you mean? Is there a chance that they <laughs> <laughs> like um his dad is uh, some sort of a political figure though, so he's got he's been around, he's got connections. Do do we just assume that when he said I found her, he's saying that to the regent? Or do you are you not sure? I'm not sure. It could be to his dad. Oh yeah, good point. I'm hoping that's Cariel's, but I'd buy him as his dad. Uh, I would buy him as anything. So let's just hit play and then pause on a full-blown alien. Yeah, that is a catfish. I don't. I don't know what this is. It's a wild uh, combination of things. Like it looks like someone said, "Make me a, a like cute squid." Yeah. It looks kind of like a Borzoi or an Afghan hound. It's like Davy Jones, but there's some more stuff going on. He's got a tattoo on his forehead. Yeah, and like more human eyes. Yeah. And this crazy coral, I don't even know, yeah. mantle around their head. Nuts. Did they give you concept art of that? Like like this dude? Nope. Okay. Do you know who this dude is? Nope. Okay. Are you sure? Positive. Okay. And then we have a ship taking off from what looks to be a nuked world. <laughs> yeah. That feels like that's spoilery, <laughs> potentially. So let's not offer up too much conjecture. Okay, now we're in it. Now we've got the shot. Three thrones, Korra kneeling, an unknown person standing before the throne, and an unknown person in the throne. That person in the throne looks like it might be that same person we saw from behind. Oh, giving the... Uh, Given the hair, the big the big staff up there. Yes, yeah. I believe that the clothing looks to be the same. Mm-hmm. There was enough. There was just cuff poking out from behind the cape, and it was the blue and red that are a match for this. This has a very somber feel to it, though. Also, is that a griffin or is that a dog stained glass window? So that is a wolf, 
every character has some sort of an emblem associated with them. If Zack Snyder posted a picture of him to Vero long time ago of him and um, yes. Sophia Butella at a wolf shelter, wolves are one of the main symbols used in the movie. The coins on one side of the coin is the king, the, the symbol for the slain king, that like double eagle. And the other side is a wolf. And Korra's got like a wolf emblem on her, I think on her belt buckle. And the in Velt, they make her a wolf banner like before the, the final battle. So those are details that <laughs> are noticeable in costume and set design that I uh, do it that w- what you will. <laughs> Korra, more of Korra's, the explanation of how Korra became where she is on Velt. Three thrones. Okay, I'm not going to go into this. All right, all right. I won't go any deeper into that. I'd rather... Yeah, I think we should leave that one at that. Yeah, okay. Thankfully, nothing can claim my attention more completely and instantly than full <laughs> gladiator Titus. Yeah, with a, with a flask. With a flask. And, I mean, this is so... <laughs> this is so gladiator. Yeah. Do we know who that is on the left? It looks like Korra. Okay. Again, I guess, on his loyalty mission. And then we get... I believe this is Hagen. Yes. Hugging Cora. Ingar Sigurdsson. Yes, Ingvar Sigurdsson. <laughs> Sigurdsson. Bruce Wayne from uh, Justice League. Very cool. So obviously Cora is close to people in this place. Yeah. Which is nice. Nice to know. This next shot is a wild kind of quick cut. <laughs> yes. This looks similar to the crown. That was on the head of the person on the throne. Yeah, and there's a body dropping in the background. Yeah, that is certainly not in that uniform. This does, it doesn't look dissimilar from the backdrop of that, a, a king killed, I, I suppose, or a, mm-hmm. or a monarch. Now, this next character here, based on official credits, is Issa. Yes. With the... I was going to say baby bird, but I guess baby unknown alien creature. Alien flying creature. Yes. This is Stella Grace Fitzgerald as Princess Issa. And of course, of course, there's a wolf in front of her. Yeah. And I don't know who, if that is a Fra Fee, young Fra Fee or not. Mm, because Jimmy said she was supposed to bring about an age of peace and compassion yeah. and put an end to war. And then said, I am programmed to love a daughter I couldn't save. Or a child. A child I couldn't save, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's implied that, obviously, he says the story doesn't end well, I guess, for her. But Well, I mean, maybe she's in, maybe maybe she got Skywalkered. Maybe. I guess that has a couple of meaning when it comes to the fate of children. Um, maybe she got <laughs> hidden away. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do we have, um, do we know what world this is that is snow? No idea. Okay. Snow idea. Snow clue. Wow. We have a dad, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the the level of royal intrigue is fun here. Did they talk about this at all in the set visit? This aspect of the story? Like the the pre-story, I guess? The the pre-story? Yeah, Takora's, you know, we made We knew that there's a lot of flashbacks and there's a lot of palace intrigue. And it seems to me that the palace intrigue makes the most sense in the flashbacks. I don't really see where a lot of that would fit in the modern, like 
politics don't seem to have a pl- in the same way that like politics in the prequels of Star Wars make more sense than in the sequel trilogy or the in the original trilogy because that once once the emperor takes control, there's not really much of a Senate hearings and all that stuff going on. Yeah, um, I guess that people will react to that you know differently depending on your view of the prequels. Um, but I, I feel like it's kind of similar here where a lot of, you know, there's a lot less politicking going on after the death of the king than than before. So therefore, I think a lot of the kind of palace intrigue and, and Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones style stuff is yeah. is all in the in the the flashbacks and based on kind of the prevailing way I'm interpreting this, there's flashbacks of multiple stages. Right. I uh, can't quite put all those puzzle pieces together, but I can kind of identify that I think they are separate puzzle pieces. <laughs> also that his quote was, do you know the story of the princess Issa? Mm-hmm. It's such a, such a weird way of phrasing something that would have been contemporaneous to, to what, you know, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that and that's why I I, I don't know. Yeah, it, I'm it, sure. It's it seems like there's something something missing. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's missing? A griffin. <laughs> uh, we get Tarek having mastered the griffin, flying over Cora's outstretched fingers again, responding as anyone would in in her position. Did they say we're gonna get griffin fights? No, because they didn't say they were real. Man. Yeah. Okay. Well. Then we'll move on to our best our best look yet at Jimmy in a field surrounded by what I'm assuming are light emitting diodes. Just kidding, they're fireflies? Alien fireflies of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, that and correct me if I'm wrong here. It looks like it looks like his blue eyes radiate out through them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean he's <laughs> he's going through some sort of a connection to like he, it could be, it's it's not clear to me here whether or not he is reacting to them or they are reacting to him. Like, I think that, that he's having a, he's having a existential experience, as okay. a, which as a robot would be a unique thing. Um, yeah, this feels like, Jimmy feels like the cyborg of this where they're like, oh, well, he's the whole heart of the story. Yeah. I, I'm not used to the like mythical sage being a robot. <laughs> um, and then we get kids playing in a field. Wonderful. Uh, a spaceship going through a waterfall. Now we're talking. That makes me, yep. it makes me think that that beautiful triple waterfall on Velt, like all waterfalls contains a secret behind it. <laughs> and it is a spaceship. I'm expecting that at this point. Then we get very um, sort of, again, different looking soldiers. Yeah. Well, again, very anime with those giant goggles. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pouches on pouches. <laughs> Weirdly enough, this undercoat looks like the one Cora's classmate had, like he'd been stripped of them when he was laying there dying. So this might be her, but, but again, the rest of the armor is, I don't know, armor story. Anyway, we'll be looking into it. More ground combat, more Juman Hunsu. This appears to be a pre gladiatorial speech. He's wearing the same thing he is when he kind of gives a big cheer later on. And now who is Korra kissing? I think that's Gunnar. I hope it's Gunnar. <laughs> and then we get to my favorite shot of the entire trailer that made my heart swell about what this movie might contain within it. <laughs> the 
what passenger deck of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's, I think it's belt, but yeah, it feels very much like the passenger deck scene. Yeah. But this just goes back to, you know, they're, they're dancing, right? They have culture and, and, uh, celebrate each other. This is the harmony of Velt contrasted against the, uh, brutality of the Imperium. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we've gone, you know, to no end and BVS by the minute about the color, the colors used. And this just, I, I, I love it. And the word, I mean, the suspenders. It's like a Mumford and Sons music video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but greasier. I don't know, and, it could be pretty greasy. Yeah, a more more um, Scandinavian, uh, yeah. too, in these the casting. Kai giving a kiss, teasing us with that grill that we know must be in there. And this this feels if you look at his, it looks like there's soldiers behind him. This looks like an apology. Then we get this is the young man who was slamming something downward on the snow planet. Or a snow planet with an unknown. We don't know who these characters are. Flat out. Then we get to here. You're talking about the blue sword, yeah? Yeah. So I think that those are Kryptans. So Rich Citrone is in here. <laughs> yeah, I, they are. They're just like you don't want to see these guys. Spiked. My gauntlets. understanding. Yeah. Spiked gloves. I assume these would be the pe- would be the people that you would send to to find Cora if she is of significance. We can put the pieces together on that front there. Jamon in what looks to be more extensive armor, giving a speech. Uh, we we got that in the uh, next shot, I believe. Him attacking someone with a gun. I don't want to go too deep into what that could mean. Then we get. <laughs> uh, I be- well, this fits the. What? Someone slamming a... Con- uh, yeah, I don't know. I It's slamming something down that has a... Concussive? It's not even a fireball. It's like a concussive energy thing. Yeah, that... Wow, who knows, man? Oh, that's wild. Obviously, yeah, Kai giving a... um This this hunk of junk. Giving a walkthrough of his, of his ship. And then... More space combat. Hey, oh, here, is this going to be our alien horse? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's half there. Oh, that is Gunnar. Oh, should we talk about Gunnar and short-haired Korra? Maybe she cuts her hair for the battle? Oh, yeah, maybe. Sure. He also looks very clean-shaven. Yes. So, interesting detail I'm just realizing now. So, her her hair is cut in the flashbacks. It's long on Velt. We saw a scene being shot. We'll see a piece of this up here in a second where she is fighting um, Noble um, where her hair is cut again. So she does cut her hair at some point um, again after leaving Velt. Okay. And now we get a shot. This is our best look at Jimmy with a flower crown. Delightful. Uh, So he's going to be leveling up his wardrobe uh, (laughs) at different points. I would I would think that this could be a fit for his earlier narration. Um, have you heard the story? Sense. Yeah, with an unknown. I guess again, this this looks like Velt. That the mountains are really doing a lot of yeah. identification work. And then this deeply unsettling v- violin players. I think it's fascinating because we saw these 
hoods like this before, but they were like over painted, what looked right? like prisoners, and they yeah. were more makeshift. These are more ornate and over. These appear to be like Imperium. They feel important in some way, but also the faceless nature and the the tear. I don't know. There's so many things going on here. Yeah, the tear, right? Yeah. There's something very p- twisted about that. It's potent. Yeah. And then Noble completely coatless. Yeah. It, it, the the tie and the, I mean, I don't know how many, we need to find more words than just anime AF, but like yeah. that's. <laughs> with, a, with a stick, a, yeah. a cudgel. Well, I don't know what he would be signaling. There are a lot of sticks or scepters in this movie. Oh, and I like the um, kind of Viking uh, influence on the buildings too. I don't think I noticed that um, as much before. Or Icelandic, Scandinavian. Very cool on that building. Oh, and there we go. We get our shot of Korra fighting noble blue swords. Yeah, so so we saw them shooting that scene, and I guess you can see from here they're on they're on a ship, and it is tilting like the Titanic, and so they had this giant. Uh, floor that they would haul one up on a, end up on a, on these chains and then put a brace under it so it was slanting and then they were fighting as they slid down it um, and uh, Zach had knee pads and was sliding down alongside them with the <laughs> camera yeah not not don't know much I know a little bit of context but it, we can withhold that for the sake of spoilers um, but uh, yeah most of what I saw was just them sliding and then they have a close-up where they cross swords and do a lot of grunting. Yeah, this looks awesome to see this, um, actually. Finished. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, man, I can't wait to see them actually get to fight, knowing the the training that those two are going through. Tarek is <laughs> very mad. Not happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get, I remember this uh, piece of concept art vividly because I inserted us into it. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the team, if not all of the team, I think I made us those two guys in the background. Yeah, I, I think that this dude at like the fuel pump is not one of them, but the other ones seem to be Korra, Kai, Gunnar, uh, Nemesis, and Tarek. So they're missing. That might have been on the other side of the ramp, Titus, but maybe they don't have Titus yet. Maybe this, it would make sense to me if this were Titus. That looks like a Colosseum. Oh, yeah. Fair. And this is Pollux. Pollux is a, um, there's uh, just like the remains of an ancient civilization there. So I don't know much about it other than that. Well, and then we got our question, who among you is willing to die for what we believe? I'm assuming most of them, uh, knowing the inspiration here. And that concludes, we get this weird, crazy shot of these metallic letters flying through a starscape. Telling us that it's Rebel Moon. And we have two movies. Did they talk at all about the significance of a child of fire or Scargiver? Uh no, other than in the in the trailer, um he um Ed Screen uh, Noble mentions the Scargiver. But uh yeah, I'm not they didn't really talk about uh the uh the significance of those at all. Or whether or not there even would be subtitles. They just refer to it as part one and part two on set. Okay, well, is there anything from the set visit that you didn't touch upon that you think is worth discussing in the context of this new trailer? Oh, man, there's a there's a lot in there. I don't know if there's anything else 
as far as the trailer goes, that's all of it. I mean, go to um, go to screenrant.com. I'm going to have all of my. Um, by, I mean, by the time this is up, that should be mostly there. But I'll, I'll have a, a breakdown, a huge breakdown of the whole set visit, um, a guide to the characters, or at least what we learned from the set. There, there's be some extra information from other stuff that's come out, but specifically what we learned about the characters on set, what we learned about the planets on set, and. Um, uh, the best I can do to piece together the kind of mythology backstory timeline of the Imperium and how it ties into the events of Rebel Moon Part 1 and 2. Not really looking at the story and spoilers or anything like, anything like that for the actual movies themselves, but more so like what, we'll, what we see in the kind of flashbacks leading up to it that we can establish. And then, of course, I've got interviews with... Uh, costume designer Stephanie Porter, prop master Brad Elliott, uh, production designer Stefan Duchant, Ozzy Alvarez from um, Fractured Effects. Uh, am I missing anyone? And then, oh, with uh, obviously with with uh, Deb Snyder and Wes Collar, um, both producers, and then um, Ed Screen, and then one with uh, Debbie Zach and Sophia Batella together. Biggest question mark thing that you want to find out more about? Man, I don't. I mean, the, I I need to figure out. I'm, I'm most curious about the 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 flashback stuff. Like, what? Yeah. How many stages of of uh, like what time frame are we looking at, and and how to and 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 kind of what what does each stage matter in bringing us to the events of the movies? I want to know if a griffin ever meets a horse. <laughs> I want. I want to know if the griffin talks. Oh my gosh! Or like communicates in any way. Like if the if the like if if the griffin is just like voiced by Frank Oz. Yeah. Like, would you flinch? Like I think after seeing the rest of this stuff, I'd be like, oh okay, sure. Yeah. Well, this definitely. I, I feel like these trailers have demonstrated. In inspiration or influence being brought in from every film Zack Snyder has made or um, seen, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, and likewise. So yeah, it, again, we encourage everybody. Like I'm sure Zack Snyder will in the coming months check out Heavy Metal. When you do, it will just look like this movie. Yeah. So you got a video game too to look forward to, and of course we will reconvene. Oh, I will say, um, I guess another detail, not necessarily trailer specific, but um, sequels, spinoffs, definitely on the table. Nothing confirmed yet, but they, you know, they have the story mapped out that far. It's just whether or not Netflix wants it. Um, and there are novelizations and graphic novels of both the movie, but also spinoff expansion stories that are in the works. So. Animated Rebel Moon colon Griffin Riders. Oh, and yeah, there's also an animated. Um, there, <laughs> this is not their warp drives are powered by interdimensional beings uh, or transdimensional <laughs> beings. I don't know what any of that means, but that's a thing. And there is a um, there's like an animated short or something that ties into that. That's going to be coming out. Yeah, if there isn't an anime made. From this, what are we even doing? Yeah. <laughs> Although that's kind of, well, we'll see. I, I yeah. trust, I trust the, <laughs> trust next. the process. Yes, exactly. Um, well, yeah, that will do it. Thank you, Stephen, for, for breaking down uh, all of the information you gleaned from the set. Yeah. I was, I mean, I'm glad to finally get to actually talk about this stuff. So it's long time coming. Long time coming. More than 10 years. 
since we found out that this had actually been pitched. And I know we are both equally pleased that it has found the home that it has. I still am kind of in disbelief when Zach said, I I told Netflix what I wanted to do and they said, go nuts. I didn't think I, I could have understood the degree to which they really said, go nuts. I'm still wrapping my mind. I mean, they, they say, yeah, there's even more than is, than what's in this is what's wild. Like it's, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. And we can't wait for more. So, um, yeah, if you, as always, you know, if you're listening to this or in case you don't, you can follow everything we do at SnyderMinute.com. Support us at Patreon.com slash SnyderMinute and find our other podcasts on that website to enjoy as you please. We will have much more to discuss about Rebel Moon in the coming months. I only know that I will not end the episode as I did the last one for fear of creating a catchphrase. So I will simply say, Stephen, are you willing to die for what you believe in? Well, I believe in Rebel Moon, so I don't. I guess, maybe, eventually. Then Zack Snyder, kill us. Kill us.